you know, the easiest example was always I looked at like this you know, Jerry Rice. Like you got a guy who's best of all time, top of the game, and then you still hear stories of he's he's up at four, running hills, doing sprints, running routes, trying to be better, catching bricks. Like there's no – he's not content. And like a guy hates himself more than you. want to talk about man is we talked about this a little bit in Tahoe it was great to chat with you a little bit and get to know you man but I want to get into your your psyche um one the the reasoning behind your brand and just just like pull that out of you a little bit and and I want to talk about it you know like you know the hate brand yeah. um is that something you know it started after your career or something you competed with I want to talk we talked about it a little bit but I want to dive into it for my demographic we didn't get a chance to listen to the yeah chat so so hate brand right it was something my brother and I had spoke about a long time um, looking at different athletes stuff like that and seeing seeing guys that that push and you know the easiest example was always I looked at like this you know, Jerry rice like you got a guy who's best of all time top of the game. And then you still hear stories of he's he's up at four, running hills, doing sprints, mm-hmm. running routes, trying to be better, catching bricks. Like there's no – he's not content. And like a guy hates himself more than you. And so like be willing to suffer. Like for the thing that you want, like hate yourself enough to do the work, man. Like like, Do you think that that's what it was for Jerry? I don't know. Right. That's what it that's what it registered or resonated you. with me was that you know it, it it's not it's not a negative as much as it's just like not allowing good enough to be good enough. Did you ever get to the point when you were training that it felt easy? No. Um there's things that I could do well like with throwing, right? And since that was the main focus, so everything in the gym for me was really based on being better at that. And so, which makes all of the gym essentially GPP work. And for throwing, like it's such an interesting puzzle because the weight never changes. So the resistance is always going to be 56 pounds or 28 pounds or a 16 pound stone or a 22 right. pound stone. But I have to figure out how to apply more force in one a shorter amount yeah. of time. Sure. You know, how do I transfer a, a 200 kilo push press into a thing that weighs 16 pounds? Yeah. I have to move fast. Yeah. And so... Also, if I can move fast, but can I also become more flexible so that I can apply force for a longer amount of time because I can separate from the hips and shoulders longer. Right. And so it's always this puzzle of strength, technique, and speed. Yeah. And so if I spend too long addressing one of them, the other ones slow down. So it's trying to maximize all three at the same time. So no, it's never easy because it'd be like, all right, let's get stronger. Shit, I got slower. We, mm-hmm. didn't, we didn't throw any further. So the reason I'm so interested in this, man, I, mean, I we brought this up as well in the, the chat we had in Tahoe, but it's because I'm literally teaching the opposite. And I said that to you, right? I was like, stop running away from pain and mm-hmm. start running toward pleasure, right? Right. And there, there's basically two ways to get motivated. Is, is And I know I completely transparently, and I told you this, I admit to um, running away from pain for the first majority of my career. 
but there were certain points where I felt like I was at my best, where I was running toward pleasure. I was like, holy shit, I'm actually pretty good at this. Well, like, I, I think the running toward pleasure, like, I, I also think I agree with you. It's not, it's not driving toward pain, right? Like, because I, I want the reward, and that's that's the pleasure. Yeah. But the road there is not comfortable. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be. Like, you're absolutely right. If, if it's easy, fucking drive, everyone will do drive it. Drive toward the pain. You know, at, at the end of the day, like, I still was able to be the best in the world at a thing twice. And oh, cool. not a lot of people get to say that. Right. One person a year. Was it literally <laughs> the... Uh, the fact you, that you disliked who you were or the fact that you disliked how you did it? Or what was it that wasn't, internal drive? The, the drive was trying to find whatever that max potential could be and not, not, not tolerating today's effort was good enough right. or mediocrity is good enough or like uh, we'll just treat this as a hobby. So the reason this is such a fascinating conversation for me is because uh, I th I've said this very recently on a podcast. Like, I think the reason I was successful is because I hated myself more than everyone else did. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I, I really did. Like, people, I, I, you know, I as a kid, I identified as a lazy kid. <clears throat> and I refused to allow anyone to say that to me. And, uh, or, you know, so I, I said, you know, I kind of, made a pact with myself that I'm always going to be the hardest working guy. And I was just never content. Like no matter how big I got, no matter how lean I got, there was never a point where I was like, oh, I actually kind of look pretty good. Literally almost never, you know, all the way up on Olympia stage, I was still that insecure, fearful kid on the inside. And that's what drove me, man. That was the thing that allowed me to succeed, which is why I thought this would be such an interesting conversation. Cause now like I'm trying to, indoctrinate the idea of like, well, you don't actually need that. Although I think it's how most people train, mm -hmm. myself included for a long time, excuse me. Um, I, it's just, I thought it would be a very fascinating conversation to dig into your psyche as to what made you so successful. You know, but like the same mentality though, right? Like whether, whether you're not training that way anymore, right? But it's the same tools that you took through all that to find success that I still use now for like, like, man, I'm I'm nervous and anxious to come and be on a podcast right. the same way as performing when I compete. Yeah. Do you think you could have done better knowing what you know now with Of course. With less work? Um, yeah, yeah. And that that's something that you know I'm not a martyr. I'm not gonna go die in the gym for the sake of being the fucking right. strongest dude in the gym. Although during during in, the thing you probably would have. I know well, I would have. But I, would, I wanted to train for the best that I could be at that sport. Right. And so what that also means is I got to compete 23 times a year. Right. And I need to be prepared to throw. I don't want to be beat up and hurt during training. Like, that's dumb. That's, that's not a sure. self-loathing thing. I'm not whipping myself with a, you know, with a, right. with a cat of nine tails. Right. There's, no, there's no benefit to that. Right. Don't fucking tell me how hard you work and how much you suffer and you're willing to, to die for it. And then suck at the thing that you want to be good at. Like that's 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 not it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I don't want to do that. Like, you know, how many people do I know that own businesses that brag about the hours they put in? Right. Like it's, it's your fucking job. You're supposed to. Right. Or 
wouldn't, wouldn't you trade that to do half as much work and get twice as much or, return? Or can you? Right. Yeah, or, sure. or figure out that, so these are the hours you work, keep getting more efficient so that you still only have X amount of hours. And that's the same for you or me or anyone else well, on earth. That's kind of what I'm after here, man. Is like I know in my exit or toward the last couple of years of my career, I was able to get way more result with way less work. Like but, it, Because that base is there. Like you've already laid the foundation to the building, sure. so you, you know how to talk to yourself, and you know what works and doesn't work, and what you respond but well is to the and base, don't respond is well. Is the base in the skill, or is it in just that? You know, is it just is it is the base the skill when you speak of the base? I, I, so the base is. I, I think it's. I think work ethic comes into it, right? I think that, and I think Nervous that's system. also a skill. Sure. Yeah, you know, building that foundation of also work capacity and now that doesn't need to be tested every time you go to the gym because like i'm not i'm not going in there to crawl out of the gym to prove a point i wanted to be the best in the world at the sport i was doing mm -hmm. i didn't want to be the hardest training guy at the sport i was doing and then not throw well and win right it's like the guy who's you know dumb for how much he reads kind of thing or being strong for his size like, right you know that like dummy or like, how many how many people we know that are very intelligent but can't communicate any of the words? Right. Like, so it doesn't serve any purpose. You may as well be speaking Chinese to me. Right. Like, you got to be able to translate it. You got to be able to turn it into performance. You got to be able to turn it into those things. And that base is like, it, it's, it's being done with making any of the excuses of like, oh, if I was taller or if I had these genetics, like, these are fucking out of your control. So, why are we worrying about them? So, accept what you are. Accept what you are, yeah. and you can refuse to be outworked. You know that's a choice, and it's a very subjective thing, right? Like sure. The the idea of, uh, and this is why again I why I struggle with this in my own mind sometimes, which is why it's a good conversation for you and I to have. Is what is hard work like hmm. for whom, and what what are you doing? Well, like, it's a completely moving co scale compared to what, right? right? Compared to whom? Like, compared to a Navy SEAL, we ain't doing shit. Of course. You know, and you're like, okay. So that, that was always my friend. Right, even, like, even on pain scale, right? Oh, but, but I also believe this. Like, everyone's 100% is different. And, 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 a, and a sliding scale. A sliding scale. And so, like, that's something that, you know, through chronic pain and what I'm dealing with now that... You're just old, man. Has, has just been, like, an awakening of, like, oh, that makes sense. Um... One of the ways I'd heard it really described well was uh, a guy had wrote a piece after Bourdain's death. And essentially it said something along the lines of like, you know, where, where does the most interesting man in the world get to talk about not being happy? Like he's got the life that everyone has wanted. Right. And at some point we have to realize that pain and trauma aren't a competition and that everyone's dealing with 100%. And... I think I think work can go the same way. Now everyone's not putting in a hundred percent. Like we right. we know fucking lazy people. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not talking to you because right. you don't get it. Right, right. They don't get it. But I mean, a hundred percent is is still being smart. Like don't like. There's a lot of ways I could have driven here today from Miami. Mm -hmm. I I didn't I didn't earn any points if I would have taken ten hours instead of four. Right. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there in that Bourdain example because, you know, you you probably live this. You can tell me your experience. I'll tell you mine. Um, you know, transcending this this mountain of bodybuilding, mm -hmm. you know, getting to the top. 
you get there and you're like, oh, I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I'm one of the best guys in the world and I've got, you know, fucking millions of fans, which I thought would be super awesome and I'm making a bunch of money and yeah. I'm like, but wait, I'm not happy. And, you know, that's the Bourdain thing, right? It's like from the outside, he has what everyone wants. On the inside, he's not fulfilled. Right. And that's the lesson that I want to get across here is um, the true victory is in the journey, man. The true victory is in the person you it become along is. the way. And if that comes in this, you know, if that comes with self-loathing as part of it, I think that's a problem. Like, I think it should be an appreciate, like maybe it's a self-loathing as a catalyst for, for you to start, but an appreciation for every step you've taken in the right direction. Mm. So like finding that balance between using that self-discontent maybe or self-hate, whatever, however you want to say it, as a catalyst or, or as an intelligent way of getting you off your ass and then finding a way intelligently to bridge the gap toward, oh, I fucking did some cool shit, man. Did like cool shit. I did, I did really, really well. That's the, the challenge. That's the hard part, right? right? Anybody can hate themselves and turn that into like, you know, ultimately I get to the top of the mountain, but I'm not happy, not right. anybody. But well, how do we teach people? to use whatever the hell you have to use as a catalyst to get off your ass. Yes. I don't give a shit what it is. If it's looking at people on the internet, if it's looking at yourself in the mirror, you're looking fat, whatever it is, like you find a way to get off your ass. But turn that somehow, like wh where's that that transition between, okay, good, I got off my ass, I hate myself, but now how do I turn that into something that actually ends up with the end result that I'm after? So you win the Highland Games, you're mm -hmm. the best in the world. Uh, I was happy. Oh, that's great. You know, but for, for part of that, right, is I think what comes from that work and the doing and all that is there's confidence that comes from performing and that I know me and what I've learned over the, what, 10 years I competed as a professional in this sport, not counting powerlifting, not counting weightlifting, not counting track and field in college, just 10 years in this sport at 23 or four competitions a year. I perform when I'm supposed to. Right. I know that happens. I don't have to question that anymore. That becomes anymore. a habit. Right. Yeah. And that, that's a thing I can lean on because I'll fucking perform. Right. And that's confidence. And that's... And just the fact that you have the ability to say that so confidently is why you perform. Right. right. But so you don't get that. Without, you don't get that without... Without putting the work. Right. I can't... It's, it's deciding that I'm going to have to be ready Saturday or I'm going to have to be ready in August at Worlds... So get off your fucking ass and go to that field by yourself. It's 104 degrees outside in Louisiana. Yeah. I'm going to sweat to death and die. Yeah. I have events that I can't train at home in the summer because it's too hot. Like, so one of the events we throw is a hammer. And so it's a 22 or 16 pound ball on the end of a stick. And so you have boots on that have a uh, six or eight inch spike off the front of it. And you bury those into the ground. And so as the ball orbits around your head, you can pull on the ground to accelerate the ball. Otherwise, it'll pull you. So you're anchored. Mm -hmm. In the summer, it's too hot. So the ground is concrete. Right. I can't get in. So I essentially can't train that event. So during the winter, when it's gross and it's muddy and I can put my blades in, you work. And then I dig a line of holes with my feet. And then those essentially concrete in over the summer after everything dries and I still have holes I can use until they all break. Right. And so it's, it's going to do it when no one else wants to. It's, it's, it's never letting yourself off the hook. 
Right. Right. And so like I apply that to kind of everything, right? They're like, does this decision make me a piece of shit or less of a piece of shit? For example, I don't want to dump my dishes in the sink because I know my wife will pick them up later. That's a piece of shit move. Right. You don't do it because someone else will pick up after you. Just fucking do it. You know? Yeah. I think that says a lot about your character, man. Like even just being aware at that level, right? Having that level of awareness to have that conscious decision of like, should I do this or should I not? Is so far beyond what most fact, people live. If you live. have to ask that question, the chances oh, yeah, are you but should but just do people, it. Most people don't live at that level of consciousness, right? right? Most people do. Like they're just going to put their plate in the sink because they know someone else is going to come along unconsciously. They know when I come back, it's not there. Now it becomes this unconscious pattern that's impossible to break. So there's there's an enabler that's part of mm-hmm. that situation too, right? Because you know your wife probably may have done it, or she might have just and, left and it still there picks and said, up after me. There's sure, things that sure. For, for example, one of the things I don't realize that I do is like leave doors open within the house and leave lights on. Right. It just I leave my it, cabinets open. My wife gets it mad at me. Does not <laughs> register that I did it. Right. I'm not purposely doing it. Right. If I ever catch myself, I fix it. Yeah. But you know, kind of, kind of want to circle back to what you said though about like journey, right? Like, dude, it's, it's, it's all journey. Every and day, that's, man. it's, it's love the process. Like as much as it's about the hate and like not letting yourself off the hook and not tolerating your own bullshit of entitlement to, I deserve a rest day. Like you don't deserve shit. Like today's the day to push. I have today. I don't know what I have tomorrow. I get hit by a fucking bus on the way home tonight, but today I get, and so right now I get, I can't do anything about what I did yesterday either. Right. Can't go forward looking over your shoulder. And no one's writing books about the view from Everest. It's all how they got there. Right. Like, so life's all journey, man. At, at some point, just... How did you self-regulate training? Because that, that's a very interesting... Like, you know, I'm a scientific guy, man. Mm-hmm. I, w- I want to quantify data. I'm like, well, how can I... How, how do I know what my body is best suited to adapt to right now? Uh, and obviously, you and I grew up in a time probably just slightly pre... Pre as much information as there is now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, we both, you know, live with that. Our, our role models were these guys who said, just man the fuck up and work harder. Yeah. And that's who we modeled. Mm-hmm. Um and now looking back on it, that's overtrained till catastrophic failure. This is the plan. Well, <laughs> that's a that's a part of, of being a champion, right? It's right. Um, how resilient is your body to being broken? Because, like, the best guy doesn't always win. The guy who's able to make it to the end wins. Well, that's exactly right. Like, as far as strength or powerlifting or any of that goes, and this is how I tell people to train too, is, like, it's always a war of attrition. Like, the least time that you spend hurt not getting to train yep. is is the answer. And I got I got really lucky. Like, while I, you know, the same mindset of, by raised by those people when I was training with Gary Frank or any of those dudes for powerlifting – like, that's there. Once Gary's playing, like, what was the training method there? It was 52 weeks of heavy-geared singles. It worked really well for Gary because he's right. a freak. Right. And it worked really well for anyone that trains with him until they turned about 22. It's like Michael Hearn. I love the guy, man. But he's, like, 50 years old, and the guy trains so heavy. And if anybody else do, would do that, right. they'd be fucking hospitalized with no joints left. Right. And I'm like, God, Mike's just got this amazing genetic ability. To, like, never watch him train, man. He's superhuman. Right. But the way he does it is terrible for the most part. Like, not terrible, but like, you know, a scale of one to ten, it's there, there, and regardless how, if we scale it, most human beings 
would have zero joints remaining at 50 years old. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that joint needs to be replaced 37 times by the time you're 50. Right, but what guys like us realize looking at someone like that is despite his training, he is what he is. Yeah. And well, it may not be despite. I mean, it may be because of his training, but just he's no just, one he's else just, can do it. Yeah, he's been able to be resilient to right. that. Right. He, he's got a different set of tools to start at the table with, right? right? And I always laugh that people look at strength and conditioning and sports, or let's let's just use strength sports because anyone can essentially power lift. Can you put a bar on your back? Cool. We can bench and, and deadlift. Right. Awesome. Yeah. But there's still LeBron James, right? Like there's no amount of books I could read, coaches I could hire, nutrition I could do, camps I could attend, seminars that get me to the NBA. I think you could have been LeBron James, man. It could have been. Yeah, I think you got it. Straight out of high school? You think, yeah, man. We, think, you think six foot Matt Vincent? Uh, uh, yeah, man. We two, just, 200 and, <laughs> 265-pound Matt Vincent straight done, out of high man. school, NBA? I, I know. It's all there. about nurture. It has nothing to do with genetics. No, not Teasing. a single bit. <laughs> yeah, and, no, no. You're right. No, you're right. There's definitely it, that always that, that one person who stands out. It's like Larry Wills. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got a thing you don't have. Right. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. and that's okay. Not everyone gets to be a champion. Like yeah. you, you're not owed this fucking participation trophy because you showed up. Like, do it, do it for you. Right. That's it. And, and the cards will fall where they fall. So let's ask this. Look, you know, I guess this is an impossible question to answer, but, you know, we're not LeBron James. We can't You're be not a professional ask me about, like, a track rear end, right? Because no one knows how those work. <laughs> <laughs> no. So obviously Larry is, is uh, very genetically blessed. He obviously works very hard. Mm-hmm. What level of that is training? Like how, how much do you believe, and this is a completely subjective question, how much do you believe that someone could train to get to that level? And not in the same amount of time, but, like, you know, obviously Larry's a freak and didn't really you mean period? Time. Like anyone? Yeah. So guy comes into your gym and says, he says, I want to be able to deadlift 900 pounds. Could you do it? No amount of time. Never so, done any drugs. So very first question. Never never lifted a weight in his life. And How old is he? I don't know, 18. How tall is he? Right. His mechanics play into that, right? So let's like, say he's got let's say he's questions. got let's say he's got perfect deadlift mechanics, whatever that is, right? He's got long okay. monkey arms. Long like arm, me. short femur. Short femur. He's, he's built like me. Um, Relatively short spine. I, I think at that point, like like we start training and start seeing what work capacity is. We start seeing how body adapts and how it does does it want to get stronger. Because man, there's there's people that you you could just give them water, and it, it's like it's like this. It's, thank God that high school strength coaches deal with kids that are from fourteen to eighteen, because there's no way to not have them get stronger. And that period of time is a male. And I fucking think it's a curse that any human being should be able to allowed to. F with those kids because because you're you're. I agree, but indoctrinating the nervous system with these terrible habits. Yes, there are still shitty coaches, but luckily, they're dealing with kids at a time in their life that their body is producing more of the hormones they want. They're resilient, but you're also locking in these movement patterns, and then when you send them into their twenties, like, oh, I get sore shoulders when I do this, and I get sore knees when I do that, and like, fuck. Someone could just protect those kids at that age and actually give them something worthwhile for the rest of their life. Their body moves better, right? Sure, but all the all the good athletes still come through it, right? Yeah, and but but by and then, accident, and then right? we learn. 
So I'm dealing with this shit right now with my son. My son's six years old, and um, you know he's, he's got some hockey coaches who pulls four hundred five. Yeah, <laughs> my daughter. My daughter may pull a four hundred five. By, <laughs> by the time she's twelve, I wouldn't be surprised. She's the beast in the family. I love it. Um, so my son's got these hockey coaches who are, uh, you know, and not throwing anybody under the bus, but they, they live within their circle of abilities and comfort. And uh, you know, you look at that like. God, if they had that hockey coach over there compared to this hockey coach, their life for the for the rest of eternity has changed. Like this guy could go to the NHL because he's got one great coach, and this guy could you know end up having terrible back pain because he's got that coach. And that, I think that's well, a if huge I was born in responsibility. Mogadishu, I probably wouldn't be sitting at this table talking to you about strength training. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. You know, there, there's absolutely. a look of the draw too. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting dynamic. Now that I've got kids, though, I, that look at I look at. Uh, you know, how much their environment influences their outcomes. Well, sure. You know, luckily for me, like my my dad wasn't really an athlete or any of this, was a high school football player, blah, right. blah, blah, right? And so, I mean, who were my high school football coaches? My high school football coaches were guys who were probably okay high school football athletes. Sure. Give a shit. You know, we worked hard. But, I mean, do I really think running 110-yard sprints, is that helpful to become a good football player? No. Right. You know, but I know better now. At the time, it's still not a participation trophy. We still were able to weed people out of that environment based on effort. And running 110-yard sprints isn't dangerous. And now there's coaches doing stupid, dangerous shit, and these people should be fired. But, I mean, there's dumb people that do every job. Like, we're, we're not going to – not everyone gets to be – aware and good and great and available like we've seen behind the curtain too long man to to turn it off when you look at people and and see how coaches operate with kids and how training could be you know that like i mean if you're if you're a high school coach your your kids probably don't need to do heavy singles or if you're a parent of a high school age kid, your kids probably don't need to be doing. I'm seeing this this right. prevalence on social media. What, right now. what are we doing? We're maxing out. We're, uh, we're 11. Yeah, we're gonna ten. max out with with the, with the rounded back. And we, the, holy dude, idiots! Yeah, which is which is one of the same problems that I see when someone comes into CrossFit, right? Right. Because maxing out is fun. Are you still doing CrossFit? Occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife does it, and. There's bad coaches and everything. And then you have guys that come in, and because because you're a 20 I'm shaking my head for everyone who can't see me right good. now. <laughs> and because you're a 28-year-old man, and you've now taken up CrossFit, and if you've been physical in any way your entire life or not, like I would say most men can probably deadlift 225. Right? I think that's a thing you could do. I'm not saying it's going to look good <laughs> Pull it off or any of this thing. Sure. But you could get that weight up. Yeah. The problem is, is because you can do it because you've been alive long enough and your bone structure and muscles will allow you, you didn't build 10 years of all the things that support those big movers. Right. Which we did. So if muscles don't move a load, guess what does? Bones. bones. Like, yeah, like mine. <laughs> but is it true that bones are made of the stuff your muscles don't want? <laughs> Muscular rejects. <laughs> yeah, Just go start over there. Send us your bones. Right, exactly. I'm a wobbly guy. Like anyone's got a knee out there, I'm I'm in, man. Send it. Yeah, 
Matt's in, he's requesting it. The reason he's on the podcast today is because he's requesting uh, a right knee. Yeah, I've got to go fund me. <laughs> Trying to tranquilize Hapthor and get his. That might work. Put it in. I think that one's probably strong. Right. You would need four of your femurs to match <laughs> his, though. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> that thing, dude. Yeah, he's a beast, man. He's just, the closer, you, like, like having him in your room or any of that stuff, you just think he's closer than he is. <laughs> it's like you keep, keep walking toward him. You're like, Jesus. Right. Why? I don't know if it was him or if it was Brian Shaw. I have a pic- Same. I have, yeah, totally. I have a picture of the Ar- at the Arnold. I think it was 2012 or 13 where I was standing at the counter at the hotel and they were standing right behind me, beside me. And it, it, like it literally was looked not real. It looked like no. it, was, it was Photoshopped. It's a very strange thing, yeah, especially I think I as, Brian's as big guys. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I was I was like 285 pounds. Right. I, I literally looked like I came up to his waist yeah, and it, I was the size of his ha- his calf. Like, you know, recently was in, was in Austin and uh, Haffy was there. And so we hooked up and then went to train it on it. And uh, like I drive a full-size Tundra. Like it's a fucking big truck. Do you have to put him in the back? <laughs> Basically, dude. Like I've never seen anyone wear the front seat of my truck like right, that guy exactly. did. Like, like you just like operate so much earth. Yeah. <laughs> like Jesus! Like yeah. I had more room in a friend's Porsche the other day, like in the passenger seat, than he did in my Tundra. I'm like, Ugh, yeah. this he, has he to leaves just a get dent. old. He leaves a dent yeah, everywhere he right. lays down. Stretched it out. Right. <laughs> Stretched out the front seat of my truck. What is he weighing now? Uh, between four forty and four twenty. Small I, man. Which is a really. Can you imagine looking at the scale and seeing like four sixteen and being well like, when you're we six foot seven or ten, something six, six ten, ten whatever it is. He's he's a large human giant is the word yeah he he's a thing that a hundred years ago should have been caged and traveling with a circus and like fruit thrown we would have, I'd, I'd still pay for it right, <laughs> right yeah, 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 yeah I'd of still course. pay for it uh, um, and, and only getting bigger right that's the crazy thing and, and he seems to be doing a pretty good job of staying relatively healthy and mobile just turned 30 <laughs> crazy to think about he's he's got it yeah whatever whatever it. it is. Yeah. He has. Yeah. And it's cool. It's cool to watch whenever that lines up with work ethic and a guy finding the passion that it lines up with. How old do you know him? Pretty well. Does he hate himself? As uh, much as, as much as we did? Yeah, I think that's pretty. <laughs> it's a pretty safe assumption. Pretty normal thing. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, yeah, I, I wonder if that's uh, kind of a, a thing across all. Um, physique and power sports is like some deep insecurity or inadequacy, uh, fear. Like, were you a fearful kid? No. No. No, there's – between my brother and I, like, I, I got the short end of genetics. Yeah. And so – So you felt slighted. I, yes and no. Like, I found my own thing. Like, so he did football and I was doing track. Right. And so, like, I was a better thrower than he was. You know, like shot put? Yeah, shot disc and hammer through college and – he ended up going to play football, played at A&M, and then a few years in Miami, a few years in Detroit. And, uh, you know, now does some Highland game stuff like that and strength athlete stuff. And uh, it's just, like, if I was if I was building a character, I would choose his stats over mine yeah. <laughs> to start with. But yeah. you've, you've got that one, that one like, squirrely screw. I found, I found a thing, like, I'm, I'm athletic. Yeah. I can, I can, or could. I was very, very good at moving my body in space and being very aware of where it was and how to control. Like I could learn sports very quickly. Right. So giving the audience some some cool um, actionable tidbits, man. Like, 
walking back through your career, you know, I'd like to talk more about your brand, but I want to talk more about your training. When you're really at your peak, like what were some of the interventions you were using to really push the level, man? Like it could be a psychological thing. It could be a, a training thing. Like what, what were you doing that you found was a really great way to push the needle of like, this is how I got from being, you know, top five or top 10 in the world to being the best. Was there anything that stands on so, your mind? So everything ramps for me during the season. And so the, the closer I'm getting to what we'll call championship season, when I've got games that matter, out of the 23 or so that I'm going to do throughout the year, I've got three that matter. I have Celtic Classic, which is nationals, which is in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania every year. There's the World Championships, which moved, and then also moved dates. And then there's Pleasanton, which was a big game in uh, Pleasanton, California. Good paying games, big crowds. These, these are the big ones. And the closer I get to that, volume falls and intensity ramps, right? Big surprise. Right. Um, I could always push snatch and push push press. If those were strong, I'm moving well and I'm fast. I know there were simple things that I was able to keep an eye on as far as like how fried I was and if I needed to rest. Because there are sometimes you make more progress doing nothing than just smashing your face into the wall. No question. Right? So for me, uh, you know, I had my other job during basically my entire throwing career. So outside sales rep, um, typical normal work shit, right? What were you selling? Uh, I sold refractory service. So heat shielding inside of big furnace, furnaces and incinerators, stuff like that at refineries. There's a concrete lining that they put inside of them, like a kiln, except yeah. they're the size of your house. Um, well, I don't know what your house looks like, but they're the size of a house. It's actually a kiln. It's yeah, a they're just really no, no, big. No, my house is actually oh, a that's wonderful. Kiln. Yeah. It's very great cell phone service. I'm <laughs> exactly. sure. It's lovely. It's like a bunker. It's, it's warm. <laughs> yeah. It's all warm and cozy. Uh, whenever I was fried, typing would go bad. Oh. So that type of fine motor skills would go bad. And so I would sense. immediately notice it throwing because I need so much to happen. And I'd be slightly off balance. There's this 1% or 2% that you notice because you put the reps in. Sure. And so the closer I got to those games, so about three weeks out from a big game, like the rule is, is like if I don't know what to do today, go throw. Throwing takes precedent over any of the weights. If I have time to train, cool. We're not getting any stronger in the next two weeks that's going to make me throw further. Let's go throw. Let's get better at throwing. And so then the intensity of that would also Practicing ramp up too. Yes. Just, yeah. So the intensity, because you need a certain base of repetition, especially with throwing, that I know of the 40 things I need to happen in a stone throw. Did you always throw the actual implement or did yes. you vary the, the well, load? Well, I varied weights. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So we threw a 56-pound weight for distance. I have one of those. I threw a 49 a lot. Which, the 49, one, which one's in competition? That 56. So I never threw heavier. Um, I threw the 49 because it was heavy enough. I had to give a shit to throw it. Mm -hmm. It just never beat me up. Yeah. And it allowed you to go faster. Yes. Yeah. So it was a little bit of overspeed work. Yep. Um, I didn't ever throw a lighter light. So we threw a 28 and that was always light enough. Um, but one of the things I would start doing a couple weeks out when I got to the big season was like, I'm going to go hit every event today, but I only get five throws. Total or each? Total. Per, per, per event. Per event. 
right? And that's it. That's that's warm up. So get warm, get loose. You have five throws. And I need to hit a big one in five, period. If I can do that and I can count on it, I can compete. I only get three in a competition, so I get two warm-ups, and then it's go time. Right. And I know that I can hit that throw. I don't need any special circumstances. I don't need music. I don't need how long the wait is between. I would always vary and keep all that really loose. Like the variables that I watched fuck with athletes for the Highland Games was like, oh, it's wet. It's this and that. Can't do it. Right? Or the implement's weird. I forgot my special underwear. Right. And so what ends up happening for me was, like, there's a point where you get good enough that having a PR requires more than I'm ready. Like, I need the weather to be right. Because if it's soggy, the ground's slow. Right. It absorbs too much of your energy when you push on it and you slip. Sure. So you're not going to throw a PR in that condition. That doesn't mean that I still can't outthrow everyone else. So it becomes, what's the best I can throw this today? And so I'd start figuring that out. The other auto-regulation I would do with training whenever I was starting to throw more volume, like early in the season, start super easy. So like first throw is basically just dump it. Go through the movement, stay on balance, stay fast, let it go. So let's say with the 56, my PR in that event is 48 foot two. So like my first throw is probably going to be 11 feet. Just dump it. Like there's nothing on it. It couldn't be any slower. I'm going to mark it. My next throw, what's the least amount of effort I have to put in to throw just further than that? So I'm letting technique drive. The strength's there. And so as I continue to do that, at some point I would accidentally smash one because it all just lined up and I'm smooth and I'm fast. Right. And then there's a point where I would throw one far enough that the next throw, I'm like, okay, you have to have your shit together without throw that one. Right. You try too hard and you wouldn't have it. Stop. I want to throw the furthest I can with the least amount of effort. One of the things you said in there that was very parallel to what I did is um, never having a crutch. And, you know, when you're going to, the, like, the, the event or whatever, like, you know, for me it was training. If I needed my headphones, that was a crutch. If yeah. I needed uh, my straps, that was a crutch. Like, so I made sure I didn't ever do that. So you talked about that for competition. And then, you know, the idea of just, like, I love the the emphasis on um, on just masterful execution. And that's why you were a great man is, is you had this thought process around not just how can I man up and muscle this shit. How, how do I learn the skill of this first? Being a gorilla is easy. Well, people miss that in bodybuilding too, right? Is what what is the what's missing from people's understanding around like hard work? Yeah, that's important. But why does nobody acknowledge well, hard the work's fact, a given? But why does nobody acknowledge the fact that how many skills do you have to learn in the gym to be to build a great body? Like every one of those exercises is a skill. There's a period of skill acquisition. There should be a period of skill practice. But yet nobody ever thinks about that. I'm just gonna go in there. I'm gonna crush it today, man. You idiots. You know, like. No, man. Like, give credit where credit is due. This is a skill. And until you master that skill, the likelihood of you being good at it, zero. Well, that's something that it's taken me some time to figure out. Like, I mean, now that where I'm at physically, like, bodybuilding's kind of one of the only things I can do in the gym. Yeah. Right? And so talking with you and, and changing up my training and trying some different things, it's a very different mindset for me to how do I challenge my front delt? And I want to challenge my front delt as quick as possible. 
with the least amount of weight. Uh, yes, and the ultimately least amount of yeah, least amount of work. Right. So can I work. can I do that by changing tempo? Can yeah. I do that by slightly altering position? Yeah, to feel the where it's objectively, firing. And, and you know, we talk about this all the time, but the objective is to make the muscle work as hard as I possibly can at every inch of every rep. If you can frame that in your mind, you can build muscle. The really hard part of that for me is I've spent 23 years of training Movement moving centric. moving as much weight as I can efficiently. Like why right. why wouldn't I use the entire system? Right. Now you're doing my now you're trying drive. to be as inefficient as possible. Right. Yeah. It's a very, very different thing. Completely. I don't particularly like it. Right. <laughs> but I have to actually pay attention to this shit. Yeah, this but is I'm painful. very aware this is new. Yeah. And so it's like, okay. Like I think that's important too, that I think a lot of people get into failure avoidance. Oh, for sure. I'm gonna do right? what I'm good at. Well, not only I'm going to do what I'm good at, but how many fucking people have you met that were like, well, I mean, you know, I did this, but like, I only, I, I didn't really train for it. Mm -hmm. Why the fuck not? Well, like, just, why did you bother showing up for the competition, yeah, right? trying to downplay it. Like, just admit that you were, you, right. you sucked at this. Like, that's I, okay. Like, right. it's okay to be bad at it. In fact. Nobody wants to feel bad about themselves. Dude, the number of people that reach out to me that like, are interested in the Highland Games or powerlifting, that the conversation starts with. What are some minimum weights you think I should be able to hit before I do a meet? Or or what should I do before I get into a Highland Games to go throw? And my answer is, like, go go do one. Like, before you start investing all this time and energy and money, make sure you like the sport. And, and, and go be fucking terrible at it. There's nothing wrong with that either. Because right. then you get better. And you need platform time and you need competition time it's very important to the, be good at that skill there's a lesson in there man like the idea of being crippled from starting people just are afraid of starting new things and i get it you know like yeah. ha having left bodybuilding there's a there's a bunch of things i was like oh i wonder if i'd like that and i, I just didn't go start you know there, there's barriers to entry right so the right. idea of removing those barriers for people well it, look failure is a far better teacher than success has ever been for sure yeah. Right. And like go out and do a thing and you're really good at it the first time. You're like, allegedly, that's pretty hard to do. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Just worked really well for me. <laughs> just fit. Yeah. You know, and so like listen to that failure. Because like one of the weirder things for me was so 2000, 2011 was a, was a weird year competing. I won an amateur world championship. And then the way that worked was I was supposed to get an automatic invite for 2012 to the Worlds yep. for the professionals. So I'm like, sweet. I won. I got a year. The guy's running the thing because it's a shit show and we don't have, like, a federation. They're like, oh, so you've been in, like, there's, like, an interview afterwards that they filmed for a thing I'm sure that never got put anywhere. And the guy's like, so how do you feel? Like, you uh, you get to compete at the World Championships. And I'm like, yeah, you know, looking forward to it. I get a whole season. He's like, well, it's in two weeks. And I'm like, come again. Like, oh, you mean this year's Worlds now? Cool. I went and took second. You know? Let's, let's fucking party. Right. What can I we got, do in two I got, weeks? Well, I got nothing to lose. Right. No one's expecting me to throw well, man. Show up, hair on fire, and let them fucking have it. Right. And it's fun. And Tell me about these events, man. I don't know, I don't know what a frame okay. the listener has So you got, you got nine. Nine events. Nine events. All in one day? All in one day, or over two days. Okay. So you have... Two stones you throw, basically like shot put. 
How big is that stone? Um, the heavy stones, a 22 to 28 pound called a Braemar, typically How, thrown typical standing. Typical size? Is it yeah, to say? Uh, cantaloupe. Yeah. Um, Throwing shot put style? Yes, except for standing only. So left foot or whatever against the toe board, standing shot put throw with one arm. M any movement? Uh, a little. You don't get an approach. Okay. So, I mean, you can twist and do stuff like that Got and it. take a full no, standing like throw. Triple rotation kind of thing like no, that? No, 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 no. Um, then you have the 16-pound, which usually varied because they're stones. Right. So you'd have a 16 to an 18. And we these, throw, these aren't perfectly round. These are actually like stones. Actual stone. Yeah. And different ones every week. Right. So every game has different ones. So then you start learning what games have good implements and have good fields. And right. Like, ah, this field's got a little bit of a downslope. Like, we'll go, we'll go throw there this weekend. Uh, so you have two stones, heavy and the light. Now the light stone, the open stone, you can throw however you want. You can do the standard shot put glide. You can do a full spin. You can do South African technique, which is like a half spin. And then you can do some weird shuffle, like if you're not good at it. Those type of things. However you want to throw it, starts against your neck, comes out like a shot put. Right. Uh, we have two weights that we throw for distance. And these are essentially a metal block at the end of a, link of, a couple links of chain with a ring on it. You throw with one hand, one's 56 pounds, one's 28. So you hook grip onto the ring. And you throw it somewhere between discus and hammer. Um, it's too heavy to throw like a discus. So you can't drag it the entire time with your shoulder back. Like So you have to push it the way you would the hammer. Um, two spins and throw it. Um, we have two hammers, like I said earlier. So 16 and a 22, light and heavy. Uh, usually three winds and a release is typically the way people do it. Um, feet stay locked in. And then we throw a sheaf, which is a 20-pound burlap bag. You hook with a pitchfork, and you throw for height over a bar. Um, throw that. I think my PR in that's like 35 feet. The start in Scotland? Uh, so the, the sheaf started as like loading hay. Into the, whole, a, the whole... Yeah, everything's all... Scottish. Yeah, Scottish history. So it's the heavy events is what they're called. Right. Um, we throw weight over bar. So the same 56-pound weight that we threw earlier, except with no links. So the handle's connected directly to the weight, except for it, it pivots. So it's not like a kettlebell. Right. And you throw it up over a bar. And then you have the event everyone knows about, which is the caber, the telephone pole. And that's the only event that we throw. How long is that? They vary every week, so different pole everywhere. But give or take, a professional caber is going to be 20 to 23 feet long. Yeah. And then if they're shorter, they're heavier, longer, what skinny. What um, Short and heavy would be like max weight. Max weight of a caber that's an actual usable thing. I've been to plenty of games where they take pride in the fact that no one's ever turned this thing. And you're like, fucking what's the point? Right. Um, 150, 160 pounds. Max weight. So that's just about getting it over, right? So it's accuracy. So you you it's handed to you standing. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got control of it. So from there, lean it against your shoulder, work your way down to the bottom of it, and you pinch it with your palms, toss it, get your hands under it, balance it, run with it, and then at some point you'll stop and pull, like a big snatch pull basically. And you want to turn it end over end. So one turn end over end. And you want it to land directly away from you as if a clock face. So it needs to land directly away from you at 12 o'clock. 
that would be a perfect so no, throw. No distance consideration. Distance just doesn't matter about. at all. How many far you run doesn't matter at all. Where you end up doesn't matter at all. Sometimes in Scotland, because the field limitations would be weird, they would put you on a runway and be like, you have to throw here. Here. But that's things that can vary just because of where you are in the game and sure. lack of rules. Um, so anything off of 12 o'clock would be less. So you'd get like a 1 o'clock or an 11. Right. And if it doesn't turn, you would get a degree, like 80 degrees or 75 or whatever it is. So those are your nine events that we would throw every week. And then we would also throw maybe a challenge caber, which would be a bigger one. And that one usually had its own prize money. It, for the flip. Yeah, yeah, or whoever wins. So whoever gets the best score. So, like, if you get three attempts and you have three 12 o'clock throws. Now, give me a scale on one to ten. How, like, how difficult is this? Like, could I walk out there and flip it now? No. Give me a, give me a framing of how difficult this is. Um, like, how long do you have to train to actually flip it? It's so much experience because the timing's weird. And all that comes with variations of capers too so it's obviously not up right it's more like a down then up like so, you gotta put the end down first so what you want is momentum yeah right so you've got it and you're under it and you're gonna run with it it's like driving a football sled yeah like you have your shoulder into it and you are pushing it but what you want to think about that you're doing is you are pushing the top you want that end of it going fast so it can't be getting away from you behind you as you run so it's got to be pulled in right. and super solid, and you're driving it. Yeah. And then as soon as you stop, you kind of get it going off of your shoulder. By the time it passes your ear, you need to be pulling. Right. You start flipping. Otherwise, it's too late. Because if it gets too far, you'll just slam it into the ground and it won't turn. Right. So it's got to get turning before it hits the other end. So it's a stop and immediately pull, hit the brakes and pull it as far back over your head as you can. And so you would also get variances in caber from length, weight, taper. And so where's the balance point on the stick? Yeah. So if the balance point, like if you're throwing a telephone pole, for example, would be, or a barn pole, balance point would damn near be directly in the center. Right. But then you get some that have a really heavy top end and get really thin toward the bottom. Sounds and so terrible. you're gonna pull those differently. They'll actually turn over easier. Sure. Because it just well, wants to whip terrible. around that other end. So big, heavy sticks with no taper, those are the ones that gorillas can turn. You ever seen anybody get smacked with a caber? Yep. Seen guys break arms. Seen guys. What happens is, guys, you run with it and say it gets away from you, especially like as an amateur. And for whatever fucking reason, guys forget that this is a 23-foot, 150-pound yeah. thing. It's going to let it fall. And so there. when it falls... It shit whips the other side back. And if you're there, it'll hit you. You're getting fucking crushed with yeah, the tree. Yeah, it'll smash you in the shoulder. Right. You know, I've seen guys get hit with implements. They get hit with a stone. Like, like, do you know how much earth you get to occupy and not get hit by a stone that day? Most of it. Like, just fucking don't be there. I'm just going to happen to land right here. <laughs> yeah, right. Cool. Good move, dude. Uh, Very or, funny. The weight over bar, I've seen people hit themselves. Like, like it come down and hit them in the head. And my... Just not looking? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that other than like... Too many beers. Do you guys drink beer on this? Yeah, a bit. Yeah, I'll start beers at lunch, usually before caber. Yeah. It's good to have a beer or two in you before you get to caber. 
by that point. Fast carbs. It's really what you need. I, f- I feel like that's part of like the Highland Games. It like, is. I think Look, Scottish, you should be drinking something. While I'm very, very proud of what I accomplished in that sport, I really love the sport. The guys I threw with were great. Yeah. And part of that was who becomes good at the Highland Games, right? Most of us were ex-collegiate throwers. And so as a thrower in college, there's a place that you get to go if you're really good at throwing in college. It's called the Olympics. Right. None of us are going to that. Like we're, we're not that good. <laughs> so we found another thing. We're all used to not being good and no one giving a shit about the thing we're doing. Right. We doing it because we love it. Right. And there's also a couple bucks to be made and fun and travel and fun and profit. Right. And so, like, we're all a little in on the joke of this is good. This is fun. You know, and so we bust balls and yeah. talk shit to each like other. Everybody's getting together on the weekend, having some yeah. beers and making some money. And, and not only that, because we all threw in college and most of us – we're better at multiple, we're, we're average over three events instead of very, very good at one. And so what that would end up happening is like, I learned how to turn it on and turn it off. And so like, that's the one thing I always saw at like strongman competitions or weightlifting or any of this is like, guys are keyed up from the moment they fucking walk in that gym until their last lift. Yeah. Just fucking locked in, headphones on. Right. I need, I need three seconds. Everything turns off. Do your fucking job. Right. I don't need a big prep. I don't need to do, don't talk to me. In fact, if we're competing in between throws, I'm cutting jokes and we're laughing, you're in trouble. I'm happy. Oh, you're relaxed. You're, yeah, you're in trouble. Anytime your nervous system is in high overdrive or sympathetic overdrive is on for too long, you're screwed. You're done, dude. Yeah, your cortisol is good. Can't hold on. Yeah, you're, you're tanked. And so, like, we're on the field from, and, and we're outside. So, like, it's hot, sweaty, or it's cold and wet if you're in Scotland. Right. I'm on the field starting at 8.30 and usually leave the field at 5 p.m. Fit lunch in there somewhere. Right. Have a beer or two. I've been pretty drunk at competitions by the end of the day before. Those didn't necessarily go well. More memorable one is the the most I've ever shit the bed at a competition was a, was a Nationals. Too many beers. No, I just shit the bed. Um, beers came right after that. It was nationalists and like there's 10 of us and the way the events are scored is if you win, you get first place gets one point, second place gets two over nine events, low score wins, right? right? So there's only 10 of us. We're going into the ninth event, which is weight over bar. Good event for me. I have a six and a half point lead over 10 competitors. Like so we're basically all we I have got to do it. is not. Yeah, not shit the bed. Right. Not, Which not let the weight fall on your head. <laughs> which which uh, opening height, 14 feet. Typically, I'd throw 17-ish. Uh, first attempt at 14, I left it out in front of the bar. So I pulled the hair early. It doesn't fall over the bar. Plenty of height. You got three feet, but it just poof. So no good. Second attempt, make an adjustment, slam it into the bottom of the bar. So by this, so after the first one, the group of guys, I mean, I also threw five PRs in the eight events prior. I'm on fire. It's as good as I've ever thrown. It's the most dominating second place performance in Highland Games history. <laughs> uh, I, the guys are starting to bust balls because you miss 14. Second one, I slam into the bottom of the bar, and now it's 14 like 14 as well. 
Yeah, yeah, same height. Go back into it. And I'm the only guy not cleared. And so slam it into the bottom of the bar. And now all your friends, like, won't make eye contact with you. Like, you're in the middle of this no-hitter. <laughs> They're all just, like, you motherfuckers. <laughs> like, this is not how I want this. So then you're, you have to follow yourself. Because everyone else has cleared it. Right. Go in for the third attempt. And as soon as it left my hand, like, I knew I left it out front. Just wave, wave to the crowd, and then proceeded to get very drunk. <laughs> yeah, I could see how that could happen, right? Yeah. Especially if you miss that first one, your confidence wavers a little bit. You get a little contraction well, you go to in your nervous system. Yep. Yeah, you go nervous to adjust. System tightens up a little. Man, you got to be in that relaxed flow state, right? <laughs> of course. That's why beers are important. You should just be like, I'm going to drink a couple beers before my third, yep. my third round. If you would have had ten minutes, you would have you nailed it. Probably. Yeah. Probably, and uh, it happens though. It's, it's one of the only things I've ever done in competition I lost sleep over. It haunted me for a, for a bit. Bring me back to your uh, your brand, man. <laughs> like, um, tell me about why it started, how it started, and uh, what the what the mission is. So it started um, 2011. I wrote a training manual for the Highland Games. Really, nothing out there, uh, and put together how I train. And so a mixture of the stuff I liked from Strongman, the way I like to periodize things based on getting better through a season and, like, committing to that not every competition matters. Like, we got to be good for these. Let's, let's not be our best in May when Worlds is in August. And so we train accordingly like that with some blocks, you know, have a high-volume block. You know, so I wrote a book on that uh, leading into 2012 and then won Worlds my first pro year, 2012. Um, one of the chapters I wrote in the very beginning of the book was the hate. And I basically kind of explained it and broke it down like that. Like if you're looking for motivation externally, like that shit fades, man. Like you got to have it and you got to have it in you to do the work when no one cares. No one's watching. It's easy to be on that podium at a competition when people care, but it's those days in the garage, cold or hot in the summer in Louisiana and you don't want to do it or you didn't have the proper amount of time today or any of these things. It's, it's that. It's not accepting today as was good enough. You I know, think there's, there's still an external motivation component there, obviously internal, but like having that an objective in mind, right? Like mm-hmm. you had the objective of like, I want to go there. I want, I want to complete that. You need a direction. Yeah. Like we're not shotgunning approach this, right? Like this is like we are trying to accomplish a very specific yeah. thing. I, I also wasn't the... trying to be the leanest guy throwing in the Highland Games. Right. Got to have some sand in your pockets to throw things and spin around. Right. And so that's it's all performance for that. And so I wrote the book and uh, talked about the hate in it and had enough people who were buying the book asked me to do a shirt. And I was like, I don't want to do a shirt. The last thing I want to do is, like, sell eight shirts. And so I had someone else reach because I, I don't have time. I've got this. I have a real job and career. So uh, the guy who I work with now who runs my warehouse and everything, uh, Phil Stevens, he has done this for some other people. And he's like, look, man, we I own a screen printing company, and we can do fulfillment. Like, So if you've got a website that sells a shirt, we'll just make it and send it to him. I'm like, oh, sick. Well, that eliminates all of the why I don't want to do this. Right. So we started and did a pre-sale October 2014, sold 40 shirts, took all the profit. Now I have inventory. Sold those shirts, you know, sold those, took the profit, 
now I have more inventory. Keep doing what you're doing. And that continues to grow and becomes the brand. And then, you know, it changes a little bit too, because I've never, I've never done it to market to Highland Games or Powerlifters or any of this, right? Like I don't have barbells on any of the stuff I make or any of that. Like I always wanted to make stuff I wanted to wear. I hope other people want to as well. But I don't want to put dumb fucking puns on a shirt because I don't want to wear it. It's not my thing. And so it's been fun. Like I've always liked art side of stuff and being creative and doing some graphic design work. And so it was an outlet to have, have that creative side thinking and ticking and like what I wanted to make. And so I got to scratch that itch at the same time. You guys are growing a lot, man. Tell me what you're up to now. Um, so we're, I mean, this is what I do for a living now. Yeah. So good, good place to be, right? Yeah. It's not the worst. Yeah. You know, it's a thing that I would have a lot of trouble explaining to like my grandfather. You know, if he was still alive, like, what right. is it you say you do here? I'm like, nah. <laughs> like I'm, un- I'm unemployed. Just, yeah. just stay there. <laughs> uh, but it, it's fun, man. Like, um, 20, you know, so I ran it as a second job from 2014 until March of 2017 when the real career, uh, real job, uh, decided that they didn't want to pay me to do that job anymore and fire me. Uh, and so luckily by that point, I had built enough to say like, well, let's take a run at doing this and, and half. And it seems to be pretty consistent month to month and with slight growth as we want to do it. I get to make the things I want to make, get to travel as I want to do. And I mean, overall, like what's, what's the goal? Like my goal is, is happiness. It's that thing, right? And so like, what, what is it that makes you happy? And for me, it's is, options. Is there a hate happy shirt? No, <laughs> no. And, and it's, it's, it's strange, right? And that's one of the reasons that I have it spelt different is because I don't want the main negative connotation, especially in today's climate with hate. Sure. Right? And so it's, it's about you and, and kind of once people get it, they get it. Right. You know, I mean, like if I was really content, I'd sit on the fucking couch and eat snacks and watch well, TV and giggle. There's a difference between being content and self-loathing, right? Yeah. I mean, but... You're, you're not a... You're not a you're happy. I mean, I'd say you're relatively happy. I, totally. Yeah, yeah I'm guy. a happy, positive guy. Like, yeah. Like I, it's just that, that internal discontent with the status quo. I, I have quo. a switch I can flip right. internal, to get things in, done. Internal discontent with the status quo doesn't quite, doesn't quite sound as good as... Right. Oh, it doesn't yeah, look as good. It, just, sure, it doesn't right? look great. You know, but that's... You know, but it all plays into... Well, fuck, man. I don't, I don't want to go and edit these photos. I'm tired. Fuck do you mean tired? Right. There's work to be done. Hold yourself accountable. Like, don't let yourself off the hook. Like, be willing to tell that dumb part of your brain that clicks on that thinks you need to rest or you need this and rest when it's time to rest. Yeah, I've been talking a lot about that lately. Is as anyone who's successful seems to not have that internal dialogue over the things they do. They just do. do. And when you know you need to do it, you remove the internal dialogue and you do. Right. And if people can start to understand that, so the faster you act, when you hear the internal dialogue coming, you go, fuck it, go. 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 Because as soon as that goes back and forth, you know you can't win that fight, man. No, dude. You can't win that fight. You're going to lose. So, yeah, I'm learning that. I mean, that's a big thing for everybody, right? It's like, hear it, say fuck you, and keep going. And I think the easiest one for people, right, is it's diet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you have to eat. It's, it's not like a thing like quitting cigarettes. Right. 
You know, you don't get to say, well, fuck it, cold turkey. I'll never do that again. Mm-hmm. People got to eat. And then, dude, like last night, like I got in, I got in relatively late and then needed to edit. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll just get on Uber Eats, get what I want delivered to me. I'll eat. My Uber Eats app, I have a new phone, so it wasn't logging in and it's connected to some fucking email that I don't know that I've had since I was 10 or some reason. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't work. So, like, the other four things I tried to do to get food delivered to me don't work. Right. So, at some point, fuck it, Papa John's will deliver. (laughs) Like, I can get buffalo wings from these people. Is that ideal? No. Right. But, you know, you tried. Like, I really (laughs) fucking tried, other than leave to actually go get food on my own. Right. (laughs) Which worked to be done. Things that need, they were priority. Awesome. You know, these have to be done by a certain day this week because I have things that need to go up on the website. Yeah. Do you have any new stuff coming up for holiday season? Yeah, yeah. We've got some hoodies that'll go uh, before Christmas, mm-hmm. some other stuff like that, and we'll do some more sales, kind of hateful holidays. <laughs> so You have that on shirt? I think, we, yeah, we did last year. I we hate did the a Christmas. Yeah. I think, I think you should do They're that. They're not my favorite. Right. It's a really strange thing, right? The whole, there's so much like really strange things that we just kind of agree to do. Yeah, I, I hate, I hate, um, I do hate the holidays. To be honest, like I, I don't hate the the, the family aspect. I mm-hmm. hate the practice of it. It's kind of like the way I, I dis dislike the Catholic Church. Or uh, well, I grew up Catholic. Yeah, I'm like I love the beliefs, but I fucking hate the way they practice it. Mm. Um, so same thing with Christmas. Like I love the beliefs, but I hate all this bullshit around. Like you got to buy all this bullshit. You got to support all this propaganda. You got to buy everybody gifts. Like if I want to buy you a gift, I'm just going to buy you a gift because I, I, I like you. This is a, a, a trouble my wife <laughs> yeah, and I run yeah. into, right? And I, I don't, I don't fucking know what day of the week it is, right? Anymore. I don't have weekends. I don't have vacation. I don't have holidays. Right. It's just some weird blur of I'm alive today, right? And like my goal of what I want to do that makes me happy is. Every day, I just want to do whatever it is the fuck I want to do. And most of the days, that is create and do and train at some point. Not answer to some guy to help build his dreams. I want mine. And whenever my time's up, this time was spent how I felt spending it. And so, like, my wife will have to remind me that, like, hey, our anniversary's in two weeks. Thank you for the reminder. Yes. That's great. I will not notice it happened. Right. And so, but I also will do a thing like, hey, I, I bought this for you for our anniversary. Well, it's our anniversary is in December. It's June. I mean, so. I still love you. It's, it, we, at some point, we celebrated June together. Right. And, it's our, it's and, our June so, anniversary. <laughs> and, and so, like, my, my point is that, like, I don't, I don't understand the idea of if I want to buy you a thing, why well, I need to give it to you on a certain date. Right. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, as soon as I have paid for it, we should be using it. Right. Sure. So, man, you know, I had, a, I had a lady on the podcast a few months back, and her name was Gretchen Rubin, talking about the four, uh, basically, personality traits. There were types of personalities. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm someone who tends to resist things that are yeah. common oh, beliefs. This seems, this seems very common. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Hello, so, Kettle. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's why, man, like, someone tells me that Christmas is about giving, and I'm like, oh, that sounds great, but... Really, Christmas is about how much can you drive, you know, the the economy. How much can you drive revenue? Especially in these now businesses. that I work in that space. 
yeah. I'm aware of what this time of year is. Yeah, man. And it's honestly a sad thing, especially for the young kids. They're so disconnected. It's like, how many presents can I open before I get pissed off that I don't have any more presents? And there's no fulfillment. There's no joy. It doesn't bring joy to people. It brings fucking guilt to parents because they, they weren't able to spend thousands of dollars on their kids. That's literally the unfortunate reality of Christmas and why I kind of resist um, the idea of, of you know, celebrating Christmas. I love being with my family, but I'm with them, you know, like... I do I, like I, having I, a tree in my I house. Would oh, dude, it smells I'm, I'm so totally good. I'm totally into that. Oh, like, we can do that all year as far as I'm concerned. We should just <laughs> build one right through it. the floor that continues we to grow. We just change the ornaments on it depending on what <laughs> right, exactly. time of year it is. Yeah, we're going to have a, a Halloween tree and a Valentine's Day tree. I have no problem with any of that. Right. Just, you, should, just, you should literally just drill a hole in the ground and plant right. a tree. I like it. Right. That's... I mean, that and, like, I always get weird about holiday stuff because I can immediately go back. I mean, it's, it's fucking Hallmark, right? Like, that's this commercialized thing that we've done. Let's, yeah, it's let's, almost sad. Are, are we celebrating Christmas because of Christian beliefs? We're not. No. Like, there's there's a reason that all of the Christian holidays were based on pagan holidays. <laughs> like, they were trying to take over. Right. Like, don't tell me that it's a total normal thought that Jesus' birthday is on December 25th every year, but his death day rotates based on the lunar cycle. <laughs> like, right. come on, man. <laughs> right. Like, based on the May Festival, like, we still celebrate with rabbits and all the stuff around Easter because of the pagan stuff with right. the harvest. Yeah. Like, ah, come on. Like, being, just being on the, the ruse of what we're all doing. Yeah. I, I get why we have to drive industry, man, but... At the same time, I'm pretty anti having to conform to anybody's bullshit. Like, hey, you need to buy All somebody. You need to buy somebody some, something that you love or someone you love something on Valentine's Day. Like, I'm I'm pretty much the guy that's going to put two middle fingers and say, well, no, I'm going to buy her something every day or every right. weekend. Like every day is the day I celebrate with my family. Every every Sunday yeah. we're going to have family day, right? Not this bullshit around. Once a year, we're all going to get together and Ugh. spend t trillions of dollars. Right. Fuck you. Well, people get – like, so that that's another one for me that whenever I got out of the old job, that, like, a, a thing that I decided, yeah. right, is I don't do anything out of obligation anymore. I don't feel it. And, and so none of my time is wasted on that. And so what ends up happening is if I am somewhere, this is where I want to be. I'm not obligated to be here. This was a choice. If I don't like it, I'll fucking leave. Thanks, man. I like you, man. Yeah, right? Thanks for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, it just, it's those type of things. Because, like, people, like, I, I watch it with friends and neighbors. And they're like, fuck, I got to go to this wedding next week. Or I got to go do this. Or I got to go do that. Right. Or, you know, my wife's got a big family. And so there's tons of christenings and birthdays and shit like that. Right. I, I don't attend most of them. A, typically because I'm traveling, so that works out well. Just my conveniently, my travel schedule yeah. happens to yeah. match up with that weekend. That, but, I never do that. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, shit. It's that person's birthday. I think I'm away that day. Yeah. Or I don't have a problem saying no. Right. Like, hey, we're going to go do blah, blah, blah for your nephew's birthday. And I'm yeah. like, no. Like, what do you mean no? I, I don't want to go, so right. I'm not. I'm not going. <laughs> You're not now, conforming to everybody's there may bullshit. Be Matt, there may be what's consequences. Wrong with you? There may be consequences with for this. Sure. I'm okay with that. Right. I'll deal with that then. Absolutely. But why? Why do you want me to go do a thing I don't want to fucking do? Right. Like for the sake that I you think get you to say I'm standing there. Like lives. the answer is I'm not fucking going. <laughs> I can throw the anchor out and get on the fucking couch. You can't make me move. <laughs> like I just. And so with that said, like if I'm here, I'm here. Like, this wasn't an accident. I'm not here halfway. Right. That's important, man. I, I think, um, you know, be present. Yeah. And, like, 
yeah, don't be fucking spiteful for being present, right? Don't be being, being spiteful because you were there. It's not a good place to be. No, just you know, look, I'm going to go and be miserable, and I don't put on a fake face well. And so I'm going to make you miserable because that will become the new goal. Right. That if I hate this, everyone should. <laughs> and so just <laughs> stop inviting me. <laughs> like, I, I'm aware that if there are 10 people going for a gathering and everyone's having fun, and I'm not, I'm the problem. I'm very okay with owning that. Like, just, I'll not come and fuck this up for everyone. <laughs> and so, strange, strangely part of that, right? Like, the a weird, I guess, a segue here into psychedelics. Had a really strange <laughs> uh, mushroom trip. Everything where, segues to psychedelics. Yeah, it always does. Strange mushroom trip where uh, day before I'd done a big dose and we were on a hike and things were lovely wife and friends and have a very, very good time. So try to repeat the next day. Didn't work out so well. No, it went really poorly. Uh, but it was a very learning experience. Mm -hmm. To uh, We had hike planned. It was supposed to be, you know, five or six hours. Going to be great. Be out in the woods. Great place for it. Uh, we get about 300 yards into this hike and, like, the trail's fucked and closed. Like, there's just no way to get around it. It's, it's like, concrete. So and now you got fistfuls of mushrooms and nowhere to go. Yeah, I've got, I've got six grams of mushrooms in me that haven't shown up yet. Right. And we're walking back to my truck. Just lay I'm down. Like, I'm like, oh. That's where you go, well, this place looks great. Cool. So we, everything starts rolling in on me about the time I get to the truck. Uh, Ashley's driving, and so everyone has decided there's a local brewery we're going to go to oh, and terrible. have some drinks, I right? Even want to and so, like, I'm just like, all right. And so, like, the drive there, the girl that we were following is driving fast, and, like, Ashley's trying to keep up. And so at some point, I'm like, do we not have fucking GPS? Are we in a hurry? This place is going to close? Like, fuck are we driving so aggressively for? So, like, I'm furious. By right. the time we get to this place, I'm, I'm just gone. I am on fire and mad. And so, like, we get there, and I'm just like, you guys go in. I'm going to hang out in the truck a bit, catch my breath, try to settle, get get sorted out. And so kind of come to this feeling of like, you chose to be here. This is where you're at. Yeah. So be a goddamn adult. Something to be learned here. Go in. So finally, I've talked myself into it, get up and walk into this place. And it's just worst environment imaginable. <laughs> it's fucking loud. And... It's a bunch of people like Sunday afternoon post-church at this brewery. There's like two kids' birthday parties going on and the kids fucking running around. And like there's two skee-ball games that are next to the table we've taken. And I have wedged myself into the corner of this fucking room the best I can. And I'm sitting at the end of this table hiding behind my wife, like sunglasses on, hat down, just trying to survive. <laughs> and oh, uh, man. like, dude, I end up like, some I remember it's so funny what you remember, right? Is there's this kid, he must be eleven. And he's playing skee ball and I'm watching him. And then he gets bored, his skee ball's free. Starts looking around, throws one overhand. And then starts getting destructive. And so like I've now taken my glasses off and I'm fucking staring through this kid like I want to fight him. <laughs> Nothing makes sense. I'm like, I'll fight him, I'll fight his fucking dad. The kid's a piece of shit. <laughs> right. And uh so kind of get it together and sit there. 
And the visualization I kept having of this energy was that, like, it's a, like, so the rest of the group I'm with is having a fantastic time. They all time. the same amount of mushrooms? None. Oh. <laughs> I was solo in this, this journey. Uh, so they're all having a lovely time. Like telling jokes and playing whatever card game they're playing. Look at, the at that face over there. Do you know yeah. why he's laughing? Uh, has he done this? He, he did it this weekend, I think. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> did you get caught in a bad spot? No, great spot, actually. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, good spots are great. Um, this one wasn't. And like sat there, and like the visualization I kept coming to me was that like this energy I had was this uh, like snake eating its own tail. And as long as I didn't give it something else to feed on, It'll eventually eat itself and die. And that's anxiety. That's any of this other stuff. So sometimes the lesson there was just shut the fuck up. Like, I don't have to put this venom on any of these other people that I'm with that are having a good time because I'm a selfish, miserable bastard. Right. So shut the fuck up. You chose this. Right. You took these things. This is the lesson. And deal with it. And eventually mellowed out. Right. And got out of the it's woods. It's a good lesson, man. It's a good. It was a very, very important one that I needed because I'm a selfish fuck, and like I don't tolerate inconvenience. Well, I'll just leave. Right. I'm very much a believer, though, that all those negative experiences or what you perceive to be a negative experience, you brought you brought that in, man. Like oh, you, you oh, got to learn. Of course, right. Yeah. And like that goes back to failure is a better teacher than success. Yeah. I mean, I learned. I have talked more about that negative trip and what I learned from it. Then I have anything to tell you about the lovely hike I had the day before where right. visuals were fun walking sure. around the woods. Tell everybody where they can find you, man. You guys can find me on the uh, Instagrams. It's an app on your telephones um, at uh, I Hate Matt do, Vincent. Do you still find it weird that we walk around with a computer in our pockets and we can talk to each other through the air? We're essentially cyborgs. We just haven't got the interface right yet. That's what Elon Musk said, and I believe him. The next step of this is that somehow that Siri, Siri or Google search Lives is in. Our mind. Is in. So I have the access to all. I already have the access to all the information of forever in my hand. Forever. Forever. I have all of the movies ever made. Right. All of the songs ever created. All of the information, good, bad, or wrong. Do you know they can read people's minds from across the room now? I find that fascinating. Phone scan? No, no. Like scientists. So originally it was they could read your mind with electrodes attached to your head. And now they've removed the electrodes. Like how accurate are we talking about? Like you know that I'm thinking about the color blue? Yep. Come on. Yep. Yeah, we still can't, like, look at people's dreams. I'm sure we can. No, I mean, like, like it plays. Like, the whole visual, not... Uh, so, no, I, I actually, read the book. So, there's a book called Machi Wukaku called The Future of the Mind. That guy's a lunatic, too. Well, he's, he's, he's a brilliant right. genius. Right, which makes he's, him he's partly a, insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they talk about, they can actually see pictures on the computer, but they're blurred. Come so, on. Yeah. So you can see like that it's a person, but you can't see what the person's face looks like. Kind of like the way your dreams look. Like sometimes your dreams, like you have a very vivid dream where you can see their faces, and sometimes it's just like kind of abstract and like, oh, that's a person, you know. Interesting. Yeah, they can see it. Fuck. Crazy, right? We're gonna get there, dude. Are you ready there, for our where robot is there? overlords? Fuck that. That's why I'm getting this knee done Oops. to be really honest with you. So you can, can be metal like everybody else. I'd be like, I'm with you guys. Right. I'm with you guys. This is cool. I have a foot in both camps. <laughs> You know? Get the metal cranium in there, you're good. It's not a bad idea. Invincible. Dude, I met a guy, Paul Gelder, uh, on a flight. Just happened to be leaving Toronto, sat next to him, chatted for two hours, which I rarely ever do on a flight. However, sit next to the guy. He's fit. 
but he's missing an arm at the elbow, missing a leg at the knee or at the, yeah, I think knee. And the coolest carbon fiber looking parts that he's got for prosthetics. And so end up chatting, uh, dudes from Australia and, uh, I'm like, man, I know this is really strange, but like, I feel like I know who you are. Like I've seen, and he's like, oh, I work with Discovery Channel on Shark Week. Like, fucking lost his arm and a leg oh, to a shark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know. Right, and so hit it up, and we we still talk and all this stuff. But like, the prosthetic hand he has, it's like this black rubber hand, and I mean, he can do this. Yeah. With it, it's the coolest thing. thing I saw him do was he was talking to me and wanted to grab something out of his bag. So threw his phone to his hand and caught it like with the bad hand or the cyborg hand. Yeah. And Super so interesting, right? So the right amount of pressure yeah. grabs it. You wonder if at some point he would start to have feeling in that hand too. Like or, or yeah, even like a phantom, phantom yeah. feeling. You know? That's such a weird thing, dude. Phantom pains and then like weird treatment stuff for it is like you can set up a mirror to scratch the other side so it looks like in your brain that you're scratching the right side. Yeah. We're, and it'll fix it. Yeah, man. Our brains are interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, the hate.com. There's other places you can find me. I'm not that hard to Spell find. Spell that. Uh, H-V-I-I-I. So, eight, eight, the Roman numeral eight. So, H, eight, hate. Got it. Right? Just because I figure people would not. No, they will spell it incorrectly. Just Google Matt Vincent Highland Games. It's probably easier. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.